Geeks and Nerds presents Publishing Insider. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. This is episode number three of our very special Publishing Insider series, where we will be getting inside information on the publishing industry from agents, publishers, and other industry experts to give you the inside scoop on what it takes to publish a book. I'm your host, Danny V, and I'm joined with Publishing Insider co-host, children's author and all-round top bloke, Adrian Beck to welcome our guest. How are you, Adrian? Hi, Danny. I'm excited. I'm excited. We have got the big guns. We just keep rolling out the big guns. <gasps> and this episode is no exception. It is Jacinta DeMarze. Now, Jacinta is the founder, director, and lead agent of, uh, of Jacinta DeMarze <laughs> Literary Agency, which makes sense, really. Uh, Jacinta has a background in book selling and publishing and worked for Australia's premier literary agencies, Australian Literary Management and Jenny Darling and Associates. And Jacinta is an ALA representative for the Australian Inclusive Publishing Initiative, working across industry to make inclusive by design a reality for Australian readers with a print disability. Jacinta DeMarze Management is a literary agency committed to the creation of quality books that engage, entertain and inspire. The agency represents a diverse range of award-winning and emerging writers and illustrators across all areas of the publishing market, including fiction, non-fiction, and books for children and young adults. Welcome, Jacinta, to Publishing Insider. Oh, that was such a beautiful intro. Thanks very much, Adrian <laughs> and Danny. And, uh, you know, to be called impressive. a big gun, I mm. just feel like actually my my weapon of choice is actually a flamethrower. <laughs> wow. I could so tell that, you think, know, just by looking at you. I could yeah, tell just that. think Carrie Fisher in the tunnel in the Blues Brothers Ooh. movie. That's the That's kind you. of um, yeah. I like that. I was thinking sort of Ripley in Alien taking on all those <laughs> xenomorphs. I That's, thought that, good that's too. Yeah. What's yeah, your but, weapon of choice, Adrian? But mine's a water pistol, Danny. Uh, oh yes. At best. Good times. Right. Times. <laughs> That's yeah. good. I was thinking the Lara Croft, like the the knives in the, the thighs, you know. Oh that yes. Kind of thing. Yeah. Double wow. action. Yeah. Absolutely. Action. We've got some dangerous, dangerous uh, people in this podcast, so I better keep my wits about me. <laughs> <laughs> now let's start just into with a little bit of a brief description, or as we like to say, an elevator pitch of your literary agency. Well, my agency was founded uh, by Flying Solo in two thousand and four. And at that time, you know, I just had a handful of clients after leaving another large agency. And it really just, you know, started from the ground up. And it was interesting that after, you know, a few, a couple of months working on my own, I realised I could really actually carve out my own personality in the agency. And that was such an exciting sort of penny drop moment, you know, when I, I felt like I could be a bit more candid with clients and you know build up my own rapport with people and I guess the where the motto the agency motto comes from which are books that engage entertain and inspire and I could probably add educate to that a little bit as well because I I like the kind of books where as a reader I'm learning something along the way learning without thinking that you're learning (laughs) yeah or um Yeah, so just the sort of books, I guess, book club discussion sort of Mm. books that, you know, that I like to think about or that I'm longing to get back to. Mm. Um, That's what I'm looking for. Mm. 
Yeah, and it's a it's a range, isn't it? You like it's it's a wide range that oh, uh, yeah. the agency represents. Yes, I was talking to Danny about this a little bit earlier because the question came up informally about agents. In some ways, we do similar work mm. in that we, you know, help um, creators with their publishing proposals or manuscripts and get them ready for submission to publishers and then negotiate the rights and the contracts and, you know, the, the, the business of agenting. But the other side of it can be a bit more personal in terms of how do you find your, the agent that's right for you. And I think that that can even change over time because when I first started my agency, my children were very young. Mm. So my interests similarly were geared towards more parenting titles and you know I was looking at you know I still have a lot of picture books on my list but I was reading a lot more picture books at the time as well so um, as agents you know grow older or you know change our you know interests or become involved in different um, you know sort of movements whether it's feminism or politics or history or whatever it might be um, agents change as well. So I really do urge your listeners to get onto the socials, follow agents on Twitter and Instagram and wherever else you might find us. Mm-hmm. Most agents are, do have a presence on social media and it can be quite personal and candid as well, um, at least ours are. And you'll pretty quickly see that my on Twitter I tend to be that's my sort of more political, yeah, flame-throwing persona. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which we love. <laughs> and Instagram tends for us, at least for Jacinta Damase Management, we use that a bit more to celebrate our authors and creators and, you know, awards that have happened or film deals or other exciting things, reviews and so on, or just, you know, general boosting, I suppose. Instagram is <laughs> great for boosting even not necessarily clients, just publishers that we know, booksellers that we love. So you can get quite a good feel for the way I work, the way Danielle Binks, who works with me, um, works as well. Mm, That's very Mm. interesting. And I'm not sure many people think about the right agent for them. I mean, I think some people are just thinking, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, how to get, I get my book published. But I think it's an interesting question to find the right agent for you because you really need to be on the same page on a number of levels, don't you? Yeah. Oh, and I totally get it because it's so hard to get an agent um, because, you know, most of my agent colleagues are like me. We work, we fly pretty much solo or we've got part-time staff members, not many agencies are as big, for example, as Curtis Brown, where there are multiple agents, but even those agents at CBA have their own smaller lists. So, mm. you know, it might not be that you could get onto a particular agent's list there because maybe their their list is full. And I think Fiona mentioned that in her interview that, you know, because of her role as manager and her list is quite full, but occasionally, and I really felt that the same way as Fiona mentioned when the right thing comes along, you just can't say no. <laughs> so yeah. somehow, some way we find the time um, and hopefully manage and balance that with being able to do the right, the right thing and the best thing for the author because that's, I find that's one of my biggest challenges is as the agency grows and gets busier, 
is whether I'm able to provide that same level of service um, to to the clients that that we want to and that we feel they deserve. Mm. It's a struggle. Mm. <laughs> the struggle is real. It's so absolutely many, real. So many amazing authors uh, on the list. Um, now you mentioned that your team has got slightly bigger. Uh, now I believe we've got Danielle Binks and Karen Taylor there. Uh, and yeah. what do they look after at the um, so Danielle, Danielle and I actually met over the social media. Yeah. The, we didn't have Instagram then. We we were Twitter, followed each other on Twitter and, you know, would comment on each other's or boost each other's um, posting. And one night we happened to be at Writers Victoria for separate events um, and we met literally in their sort of lobby area and I recognized her I said oh you know you're Danielle Binks and we got chatting and I said oh let's meet for a coffee you know I've got I'd really love to sort of you know get to know you a bit better because I'd been following her Love Oz YA um, initiative and yeah and then I pitched to her an idea which hadn't really been trialed as far as I knew in agenting because I was thinking well I can't really afford to pay someone what they're worth um full-time how would we do it so came up with a commission sharing model where she originates her own um, clients and yeah and we started doing that and it's been wildly successful there's a greater sense of ownership for danielle because she's actually part of the building the agency part of the business um, and creating her own legacy I brought her on to build the YA and then the middle grade list because that was an area that I just wasn't servicing. I wasn't reading enough mm-hmm. in the area, which you absolutely must do to represent properly. So I didn't have, you know, that really breadth and depth of knowledge of what was being published, um, even across film, TV, so I knew that was a gap in my agency that I did want to grow. Karen Taylor's um, come on to help with our picture book ah. list. We don't do any tire kicking. <laughs> we don't we don't send something out and just see if it will fly. Mm-hmm. We really honestly try to make it the best it can be or, as I say, trying to give publishers as few reasons to say no as possible. Oh, I like mm. that. <laughs> um, but that does involve quite a lot of work and it's a risk share venture because we don't agents don't make money through commission until we actually sell something so we do a lot of work with our picture book writers and illustrators before their work even goes to a publisher mm-hmm. so Karen Taylor came on board uh, it's probably must be getting to three years now um, in a part-time um, capacity to help with that picture book development because she's really good on the art direction and working with illustrators um, even after sometimes after we've sold something to a publisher she's still there as someone helping them through that process so that what they're delivering to the publishers can, is the best it can be. Mm. And I like that you've got your roles in terms of expertise as well. And I was going to ask you, I mean, you've got a, a number of amazing authors and authors that we've spoken to, uh, Catherine Firkin and Julianne Negri, just for an example. What defines a Jessica Demarze author? 
Um, they don't all have to have pink hair, do they, Jacinta? Oh, Julianne, just Julianne. Isn't she gorgeous? We love Julianne. <laughs> well, both of those authors I actually met, uh, met Julianne, I think it was at Kid Lit Vic. Okay. Or maybe CYA. She'll probably have a better memory of that. But I definitely met her in a pitching scenario because I know that's going to be a, something that your re, your listeners are going to want to know is how how do you get an agent and we mm. Danielle and I go to a lot of uh, pitching events so for example tomorrow night we're doing the Faber and Saturday we're doing the Faber uh, ready to submit mm-hmm. Uh, program, which is how I met Catherine Firkin. So one freezing Saturday morning, um, you know, three, four years ago, Catherine came in and pitched her Sticks and Stones as part of the Ready to Submit Faber program. And and that was one that I thought had potential and signed her up from there. And wow. I've just got, um, oh, got it right here. Catherine the new Firkin's one? new book. Oh, yeah. look, it's a match. Snappy, the girl remains, (laughs) is out, you know, just came out last week. Yeah. I'm interviewing Catherine tomorrow, actually. Oh, fabulous. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and similarly, Julianne, I met through, I think it was um, Kid Lit Vic. She pitched to me essentially what um, is the secret library of Hummingbird House, but it was called then Week About. And it was, the premise was about, a little girl whose parents had separated and she had to, you know, she, one week she was with one parent and the other week she was with another and she was really worried waiting in the hall for her mum to come at the beginning of her mum's week and she wasn't sure whether she'd recognise her mum because she kept changing her hair, <laughs> <laughs> colour and style. And there's just something so authentic about mm. um, Julianne's book that we and also answering the question more accurately is what makes an author that we're likely to take on again it was that instant knowledge of marketability in terms Mm -hmm. of both Julianne and Catherine because of their background so Mm. Julianne was working at the state library she's worked in um she's written play scripts um she's yeah she's had a lot of experience with writing across different sort of genre and style. Mm. And I think having that theatre background that she has also plays into her work because it's so visual, episodic, it becomes page turning, the characters seem real on the page, even in manuscript. Mm. Um, And with Catherine, obviously, the pitch for me there was that she'd worked in crime reporting Mm -hmm. as a journalist which I knew was unusual because I represent um, Jane Gilmore who wrote um, Fixed It and runs the Fixed It campaign, changing headlines to better reflect the reality instead of making them sexist or Mm -hmm. um, offensive in other ways, taking the victim out of the headline. Mm -hmm. So I knew that crime reporting was being drastically underfunded through newspapers they can't afford to have someone in the courts so that immediately piqued my interest that Catherine had been a crime reporter because I knew how important that role was Mm. and Catherine's pitch to me that day in the Faber submission was that um, she was really interested to know 
how the perpetrators of terrible crimes, how did they end up here? Mm. You know, what separates us? And that was the genesis of Sticks and Stones. So I immediately had, you know, I had my point of difference pitching a crime novel for a debut, which is actually quite hard because mm. there's so many crime novels crossing publishers' desks. Yeah. And that's what you're looking for, I guess, that differentiator or that idea that sticks in your head or Absolutely. can be separated. Because I know if I can pitch that up, the publisher's going to take that to acquisitions and pitch it to marketing and sales and publicity. Mm. They've got to take it out to booksellers, reviewers, radio, you know, on it goes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I'm hearing that um, you're meeting a lot of these authors through some of these conferences and things. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I assume you get a lot of submissions as well. So where would you meet most of these authors that you form um, a relationship with? Well, that's a good question, Adrian. And I, I, I admit I probably feel a bit guilty about this, but at the moment our books are not actually open to unsolicited submissions, although Danielle's saying that she will open her portal shortly oh there's a scoop there's a publisher inside a <laughs> scoop okay yes you have to read danielle's submission guidelines oh, right. and yes. um she does a lot of reading recommendations and you know making sure that people pitching to her know what they're in for and know the market they're writing writing for okay that's good advice um but the main reason i well there are two reasons i don't have it open for unsolicited at the moment one is that the time management is it's quite hard i find it hard just to reject writers out of hand with no feedback whatsoever mm. because i get that you know it's hard and you've invested a lot of um, work and time and effort and energy yeah so generally if we replying to unsolicited we try and give them you know try this try that try mm -hmm. this publisher but honestly that that can take an hour a day, maybe yeah. more of time Absolutely. that we really were on the clock for the authors we already represent. Yeah. And the other reason is that with unsolicited, they don't always really read our guidelines or even seem to be generally aware of what we're looking for or <laughs> what we represent. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so what we started doing was going to Kid Litvit, going to, I went to the Castle Maine writers festival recently and did a panel session with lou ryan who was for many years head of um marketing and sales at penguin random house and now she's managing one of um readings carlton we did a session together about publishing and i said at that session now anyone in the audience here who wants to send me something can do it and they put in their subject header Castle Maine wow. Writers Festival, name of the panel. I know they've seen me. They've got a better sense of who I am and whether, mm. you know, they think that we'd be a good fit. Mm. Um, I think I actually made a request for something because someone mentioned something they were working on and I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Yes, I'll mm. have that. That's very cool. I feel like it's a bit of a different um, model you have. So, you know, you're going out there and you're getting pictures and you're getting exactly. people to see you. It's really interesting. So now yeah, exactly like we've done that and we try and put up on the website where we're going to be. Yeah. Now I get it. Um, sometimes people can't afford to go join the Faber ready to submit or yeah. um, go to Castle know, at least the Castle Main one was free. Mm. But since COVID when there's been so many more online, 
I feel like some of those barriers have broken down a bit as well, mm -hmm. which is good. Yeah, I reckon they absolutely have. I reckon there's more you can, if you put the work in, you can find these agents more easily than ever before. I'm sure of that. Mm. Um, but when it gets down to it, Jacinta, this is going to be a tough question. I apologize ahead of it. Um, <laughs> when it gets down to it, when you do receive these submissions, just how many pages do you need to determine whether this is a yes or a no? Um, and oh, I could put that back on to you, Adrian, yes. and I could say, <laughs> Adrian, when you're, you know, in a bookshop or in a library Ooh, a and you're question. confronted with, you know, yes. shelves and shelves of amazing new titles and new books, you know, how many pages does it take you to realise <laughs> you're loving this and actually I'm cancelling everything? Um, <laughs> because I want to get home and read this book. Wow. I, oh, I don't like my answer. <laughs> my own answer is one page. Yeah. What about if you're the type that picks a book by the cover? Just That's great. I love it. Pick a book by the cover. The cover for a submission is your email, oh, your email there you pitch. Go. There you go. And what are you looking for in that email pitch? Now we're getting to the deep nitty-gritty stuff. Mm. Yes. Well, you, you need to be aware of your audience mm -hmm. off you would be surprised how many times we get an email where we have to ask 20 questions oh. like is this actually for adults or is it <laughs> right teenagers or is it fantasy i'm i'm not really sure what this is do that. you want to know exactly no. what you're going into time yeah. saving efficient and you want your author yeah. to know and an awareness of of decent comparison titles that are mm -hmm. not harry potter if it's a fantasy or mm -hmm. you know Maybe it is as good as Harry Potter. I don't know. But generally, you know, if you say Harry Potter, it feels like to us that's the only title you're really aware of yep. in yeah. that genre. And also yeah. maybe suggest that it's the Nevermore series because that's Australian and we're in Australia pitching to Australian publishers. So yeah. okay. be aware of local current um, titles that compare and... Mm. Um, I suppose that are complementary and competing mm -hmm. because both can work. If you know what the competition is but you also mm. know what's complementary, that's good too. Yeah. Like you can even say things like, you know, readers of my book will also enjoy and then, you know, list some authors. It doesn't have to be a direct title comparison mm. because often giving the authors um, helps, you know, put me in the, in the frame as well. Mm. Wow. <laughs> this is such good advice for uh, all those uh, uh, people out there that are looking to find an agent. So jot yeah. all this down. The other thing is the three the three W's. Oh, the three the, W's. World Wide Web. Now I've got to remember them. Yeah, the World Wide <laughs> Web. The, the, for, this is more for nonfiction, but it's yes. the, the why this book. Right. Why now. Yep. And why me. Okay, can you just say that again? I'm going to write that down, actually. Just yeah. We're recording this. This, this is oh, really no, very, yeah, yeah, Adrian, listen back to your own podcast. But anyway, I'm happy to say it again. I the do why, it often, Jacinta. Why this book? Why this book? So your yep. pitch about why is this relevant and why now? Why well. now? Why is it current? Yep. And why me? Why am I the best person right now to write this book? Yep. Which is particularly useful for non-fiction especially if you're not an expert in the field but that you might have some other particular inside rail into writing about um, a particular issue what can an agent do and certainly 
we do try and improve the financial offer for, for the creator. That's pretty much our main reason to be, but mm. that's not always just about the advance. It can also be about the royalty. It can be about the percentages for subsidiary rights attached to a creation, whether it's audio or translation rights or film rights, mm. podcast, television, whatever it might be. Um, and also helping them control some of those rights and maybe not necessarily licensing everything to a publisher if the publisher is not able to exploit the rights mm. to their, you know, to their full potential. It's fascinating. There's so many things that an agent can look after that perhaps uh, the, um, the uh, author might not even consider, you know, in this process. Um, now, I wanted to ask you, um, this is this is an obvious question, but um, I have to ask every agent this because this is what people want to know. Jacinta, <laughs> you're not going to answer this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What are you looking for, Jacinta? What, what, do you have any idea? Is there the perfect book that you're looking for right now? You know, and sometimes on Twitter, agents will get on there and I say, I want a, you know, I want a middle grade fantasy with a, you know, a kick-ass female lead, blah, blah, blah. Is there anything like that that you are looking for at the moment, Jacinta, that um, um, we can just get our listeners to whip up and send through to you <laughs> with the subject title, Heard It On Words and Nerds, Apparently I'm a shoe in <laughs> The easiest way to find out what I'm looking for is to look at what I have represented already and the way I look at that trajectory myself is I go back and look at some of the titles I feel most proud of and why um, and try and find what the common thread between those books might be, even if they're nonfiction, fiction or for children or young adults. And I'd probably launch off with Claire Wright's The Forgotten Rebels of Eureka, which was um, literally a eureka moment for me and my agency uh, because that, that was really, well, as Claire says, it's not women's history, it's our history, but it's told from another more interesting and nuanced perspective. And that sort of leads into the kind of books I'm interested in are often um, an unusual voice. For example, the gorgeous Galah Lucky in The Lucky Galah, which was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin um, award a few years ago. Tracy Sorensen's next work is actually a memoir, um, a cancer memoir of the most stunning originality. I can't wait for that to come out into the world. Um, I suppose um, another Miles Franklin shortlisted title on my list is Miff Jones' Leap, which Alan and Unwin published, or some of the really big sellers like Catherine Collette's The Helpline, which had such a funny, endearing, original voice. Um, Robert Hillman's The Bookshop of the Brokenhearted, which sold into multiple territories as well. Um, that's, you know, more of a, a saga, um, you know, a love story against the odds. Um, so I think they're original voices, they're heartwarming, funny, always err on the side of literary for me, but not in a way that's self-consciously so. So I feel like I don't want to be super or hyper aware of the author trying to be literary, but more sort of amazed and admiring about their skills.
even what I've been reading lately, and as I mentioned earlier, we, we do post what we're reading and loving on Instagram or on Twitter. So recently I've been reading a lot of First Nations voices um, like Archie Roach's amazing biography, um, Tell Me Why. Tony Birch's The White Girl, if you haven't read that, you'll, go, you'll love it. I actually cried on the Sydney Road tram reading that book. It was amazing. And I'm hearing a couple of things from you here, and I know they're very hard to pinpoint if you're an aspiring writer, but I'm hearing original voices. I'm hearing makes you feel something that maybe yeah. you haven't felt before from that perspective, and I love that. And that's that's really unique. And, of course, you know, I think that's what we all want to read as well. Mm. Yes, definitely. Um, and I think about, um, for example, reading the stories in Growing Up Disabled in Australia. I mean, if you want your mind blown by, you know, reading uh, new perspectives on a world that you think you know and inhabit, you've got to read it. It's amazing. Yeah, I've read that. So, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. And then I think um, I do often read books on the Stella shortlist, Miles Franklin shortlists, for example, or winners like The, the Yield and Too Much Lip. The Yield was actually interesting because when I first started reading it, I found it really hard to get into it because it challenged my what I was used to in a narrative and then um, then I read Archie Roach's memoir and then suddenly I felt like oh now I get it I can I can get into the the yield and I loved it I found um, it exactly the same when I read Tara Ginwich's um, The Yield. I found it very different narrative to get into and her writing is very, you know, I guess lyrical and poetic. But once you do get into the book and then that language that she was language. sharing with us, it was just incredible yes. and worthy of all the awards that it's won. Yeah, completely. And really that is a book about looking at perspective, seeing things through different eyes and looking at things that we think we already know or definitions that we already know, like the names of the stars in constellations, which we, you know, we have Greek words for that. Well, why wouldn't we have a local Indigenous language word for that? Because yeah. it, it and is, we should know, we should we know, should know more it. of that. Exactly. As Australians, yeah. we should know that for sure. So I think it's books with heart and humour, despite the odds, plot driven, and characters that exist beyond the page where I'm, I'm thinking about them afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like, and I know I've had these discussions with our authors sometimes when we're developing a manuscript, and I'm literally saying to the author, no, character X wouldn't do that. And they're not even a real person, but, you know, we feel like, you know, you've got a book, you know, a good book in the making when... Yeah. Um, we're having discussions about characters as though they're real. Absolutely. And when you <laughs> shut a book and you miss those characters or you want oh, more of those yes, characters. That you, is, yeah. yeah that, it's the end of a book grieving, I'm you sure know. there's a German word for that. Um, I would love to know what that is. <laughs> yeah, maybe one of your listeners can, can pipe in with that because, yes, that's a, a real feeling, isn't it, where you, you feel like you're not going to capture that um, experience again and then luckily another book comes along and this ties into how do we know if we've got a good manuscript as well it's the same feeling that you get when you start reading a book that you love and you just think yes I'm off I'm away I'm yeah see you later everybody I'm yep. the, the books that keep you up the bedroom at night. or lounge room yep. or whatever to read I know that from, um, you know, I do enjoy all the books that I talk about on the podcast. Otherwise I wouldn't talk about them on the podcast. But um, when you sit down at, you know, six o'clock at night with your tea and you don't get up from the lounge until midnight, you know you're onto something good. 
yes and um, because I also work with younger readers and we talk to them about well actually Michael Pryor one of the authors I represent calls it narrative transport I love Michael Pryor he he did a oh, bit of a, a session with amazing. us he is and I love the way he thinks he did a session with us about looking at his drafts and his drafting process and like a zero draft right to the third draft and you know the way he created his piece of writing from zero draft to third draft, it was incredible. Well, he really is a master and he's very generous and he's very good at teaching younger writers and authors. And I was thinking about this about, you know, for with wanting to look for diverse voices and new writers, often they don't they haven't had access to the kind of, you know, skills and creative writing and courses and Michael would be someone that could really, you know, mentor writers in that regard. But narrative transport is that feeling. So you're reading a book that's set in the snow and you suddenly start feeling cold or it's a book that features a lot of amazing Japanese food and ramen and soups and suddenly that's all you want to eat. Or <laughs> I love that narrative transport. I love that yeah. so much. That's wonderful. Are we ready, Adrian, for the uh, special question that we get from listeners? We've been getting so Whoa. many of these questions from listeners. We've had to Maybe curate you could do them. Maybe a Q&A one, one yes, night and we, we could definitely. run, run a session great. like that. Let's definitely. do that. We are, we are ready, of course, Danny, because we're not the ones being put under the pump. We are putting <laughs> under the pump Jacinta the blowtorch uh flamethrower <laughs> sorry i <laughs> undersold your the blowtorch is for the creme brulee she's not making creme brulee although if you <laughs> although are just in time yeah no complaints if you are all right so at the end of all of our publisher insider uh episodes we have an anonymous author someone who has asked a question wants to remain anonymous so we have disguised their voice and they asked the tough questions jacinta so here is this episode's anonymous author uh, and they're going to ask you, <laughs> they're going to ask you a question, which I hope you'll be able to answer. Will agents help me make more money? In short, I think I'd still reiterate that probably that the person asking that question, it seems to me they're not super connected yet with um, the publishing industry and knowing a little bit more about what agents do and hopefully listening to this podcast will help answer some of those general questions. But in short, the sort of mercenary answer to, you know, does an agent just take your money for nothing is no. And every single deal I've done as an agent would be a better deal than the author would have got had they gone direct to a publisher. It's not always just, oh, have I got a large advance um, and I, I sometimes prefer not to push for block your ears publishers, not to <laughs> not to push for and you know make the advance the only thing that validates a yeah. good offer. Yeah, it absolutely. could be editorial. It could be you know the X factor editorial. Just this morning we were um, working with an author to help her decide between two very good offers from two quite different publishers and, and what's the X factor and what did she really want to achieve? Um, and actually after discussions we realised, well, it's editorial. So that would help inform um, the decision. 
And these are decisions that are very difficult to make yourself because you you have the... You don't know the actual players and you don't know what they've published and you Mm. don't know what their working style is and you don't know if it's going to be hands-on or whether you're going to be more likely to work with an in-house editor or a freelance editor. Mm. And that's the hidden hidden things, I think, because people just see, oh, agent, yep, they get a book deal, yep, they're out now doing their book launch. And I think the hidden <laughs> part of being an agent is exactly what you told me. And I think you told me before we started recording, you know, you were on the phone today for more than an hour, you know, trying to nut out these problems for what's best for the author. And I think that's why these conversations that we're having are really important. So it brings yeah. that to light. All that hidden work that you do, bring it to well, light. I think the other thing is that agents offer, well, there are two important things one is continuity because this is an industry where personnel change and move from company to company it's not like anyone ever leaves but we people do move around a lot Um, and agents offer that um, stability and continuity and experience over time where you know last year we were hearing oh things have never been as dire as this it's all so hard and we just think wow we've had challenges before and guess what? We rally, we get the information, we communicate, we can work work through it, and we do. Um, and the other thing that an agent offers is getting your manuscript on the desk of the right person, the exact right person, and knowing that that person's going to see a submission from Jacinta Dumaze or Danielle Binks and know I can trust this is not going to be wasting my time, that Jacinta is going to have thought that this is right for me, know that it will suit my list, Um, might even, you know, preempt what I think I'm looking for Um, because, you know, we do get to know publishers well. We ask them what they're reading personally, what they wish they'd publish. We We know things about them, you know, as colleagues and friends in some cases. Yeah, so it just adds that direct and personal channel connection to that the authors wouldn't necessarily be able to build themselves. And I love what you said earlier about um, you like to give publishers very few reasons to say no, and that's really important, you know, because <laughs> well, we they do, could... Yeah, we do, Danny. We do put a lot of work into our submissions. It's, it's partly... Um, COVID sort of exacerbated this or, you know, increased our desire, I suppose, for books that are, they're feel-good reads, but they've got a little bit of a bite. So something a bit interesting, but not too dark. Mm. Um, having said that, I've just, <laughs> just worked with fabulous book, The Silent Listener, which is yes. very dark. I'm speaking to and, Lynn shortly. Oh, really? Well, mm. I just found out that that's hit the 10K mark, which wow. is officially a bestseller in Australia. Wow, that's exciting. Awesome. And you heard it here first. Love a scoop. We've just signed the film rights. <gasps> oh, that is exciting. I'm so glad I get to speak yes. to her in a couple of weeks. That's yes. why so you've got to this podcast. All the details. And, you know, that's what agents do. We're working mm. in the background wow. where you know, taking Zoom meetings at 6 o'clock at night while the cannelloni's in the oven beeping <laughs> at me mm. and teenagers are coming in and out or kids. Um, but, you know. So we- even though you've said, you know, you want this sort of feel-good thing and I can understand that after the 2020 we came out of, mm. there are obviously always exceptions if it's a really good piece of work or if it yeah. differentiates itself, I think it's, it's that um, I'm, I'm kind of looking for cosies and 
because I, I think about, you know, the Franny Fisher sort of thing or call oh, the yes. midwife or, but it's such a hard thing to get to capture in, in a book. Mm. I think because I'm what I'm streaming a lot and who isn't um, on Netflix or Stan or Binge or whatever it might be. And I think, you know, some of those, the things that are appealing to me are they're plot driven definitely because mm. that mm-hmm. gives you the binge factor. Yep. But they're also the characters that you can't stop thinking about. Yeah. So put those two together mm. in a book. And I think for me that was what was happening with The Silent Listener. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I've written all those those down and I'm just going to back over it for the listeners because that's why they're listening, Jacinta. They want to know what you're after. They, you want something plot driven? Tick. You want something feel good? Tick. You want something with a little bit of bite? Tick. Well, I like that. And unforgettable characters. I mean, if all you have to do is include those four things and you're, you're home and hose. The three W's. Can you remember yes. what they were? Yes, I wrote them down. Why this book? Why now? And why the question me? I ask myself all the time, why me? Yeah. So <laughs> That's funny. Actually, those. that could apply to fiction, can't it, as easily yeah. as nonfiction now Absolutely. that you've said it like that. Yeah. <laughs> Adrian always thinks outside of the box. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing is um, what I'm looking for is writers that read mm. yeah. yep read because that's um, the the best way for you to know the market to know what's out there and to help you be a better writer too i think definitely mm. Mm. i love that all the best writers i promise you all the most successful best writers are voracious readers mm. you know You're saying earlier that um you know twitter is a platform that you sort of test the political climate and i think that is interesting as well because you know books are shaped by not the, the social political and cultural climate that we live in as well so keeping your, your finger on the pulse of all of those things i guess are going to be really important to what's coming next and and what you want to get from your books yeah, that's true. That is a good point. Great. Very, very interesting, isn't it, Danny? So many interesting things. And, um, you know, we really want to thank you for your time, Jacinta. I think we always learn so much when we talk to, you know, people like yourself about, you know, things like you said. I think we said this off air that, you know, we, we know so much about the industry, but then we know so little about this side. So I think this series is really bringing to light, you know, your really important work within the industry and what you're looking for and what writers can do to give themselves the best chance. And it really is to read a lot and be informed and know who they're pitching to. Mm. And if yes. you can turn up to these these wonderful festivals for. Yes, yeah, so we'll know, try and get better at putting that up on our website of where <laughs> we're going to be. And, yeah, and, that's and wonderful. Um, maybe, you know, watch this space, but I think we will be opening to submissions before the before the end of June, I'd say. They're going to include the three W's, and they're also going to uh, make sure that it's a, it's a nice feel good sort of story as well. Hopefully, so and of uh, course the agency, um, you know, want books that engage, entertain, inspire, exactly, and also educate. Yes. So yes. triple threats. But who exactly. doesn't want that in their books? Even when I'm reading yeah. it, that's what I want too. True. So you know, I can understand that. Well, well thank you again so much. Thanks for very much for the center. opportunity to you know get into the ears of your listeners and happy reading. Mm-hmm.